from WUFTFM. This is Animal Airwaves Live, our weekly hour-long show devoted to the discussion of the health and welfare of animals. I'm Dana Hill, and I'm so glad you could tune in today. And oh my gosh, I'm so happy to welcome back to the program today from the University of Florida College of Veterinary Medicine, one of uh, this show's best friends, Dr. Amy Stone. And I'm so happy to wel- welcome you back to the program, Dr. Stone. It's great for uh, it's great of you to be here again. And, and the topic today. Uh, we're going to be talking about older pets and some of their health issues is, is one that's going to be of interest to a great many people. So thank you for being here. Absolutely. It's great to be back. When we talk about the care of older pets, it's probably easy for a lot of us to try to draw an analogy between the care of our older pets and maybe the care of our older human loved ones. And it is probably not too far off to say that some of the kinds of things that afflict old people are some of the things that we have to think about in terms of our older pets. And, and that, those could include maybe just maybe not getting around as easily as we as you know they once did or you know maybe some uh, other kinds of issues. But I suspect that in some some ways, it's not an exact analogy. Sure. It's it's not. I mean, it is and it isn't, right? We we all want to have, you know, uh, comfort and enjoyability in our lives. I mean, and I think we all want that for our pets as well. Um, but unlike us, most of the time we can tell our doctors and we can tell our family members the things aren't right. Pets can't really do that. And so that becomes a bit of an issue when you're trying to detect what's wrong, and when you're trying to figure out if they're having problems that are due to aging. Yes, and so in this conversation, it might be helpful if, as we're thinking about our dogs and cats, we consider what exactly old age is, because we know that what's old for people is not necessarily the same as what's old for our pets, because our pets generally don't live as long as we do, though, of course, we've talked on this program about birds that can live quite a long time sure. and, so, and a few other species that are, are quite long-lived as well. But dogs and cats, not not quite as much, unfortunately, as, as we are. So when we think about cats, let's start out with, what is what qualifies a cat to be a senior citizen? to think about it as pretty much anywhere around 10 years of age. Um, 10 to 15 years old um, counts as as a senior citizen, and anything over 15 is a very senior citizen. Um, And so, you know, around the time of about 10 years of age, uh, maybe a little sooner depending on the cat, you want to be thinking about some of the things that might be starting to affect age. You know, age may be a, a factor for them. And with our dogs, this can probably vary because as we've talked on this program before, uh, as we've learned, dogs vary in terms of their longevity based on their breed. Right. And their size. Exactly. And so, you know, I start to think of, you know, very large dogs as getting more senior when you're talking about five to seven years of age. If we're talking about giant breeds like Great Danes and things like that, if we're talking about, your, you know, just your large breeds, we're probably talking more like seven to 10 years of age. And your mediums, you kind of go up from there. Small dogs are a little like cats in their age range of what you consider to be senior. And so when we think about our pets, we're not only thinking about 
their, you know, how, what, how long we might expect them to live, right? As we, as we have these pets and we, we think about our, let's say we have a big dog, we, we might go into this knowing, okay, well, you know, I, I unfortunately won't have this dog for 20 years. That's um, not probably what I can hope for. Uh, we might hope for um, a good long age in some of our smaller dogs and our cats, but we do need to be mindful that these dogs and these cats what counts as their sort of older years starts quite a bit sooner than we might expect. It can probably come on quickly when we're talking about some of even our, our bigger dog breeds. Well, your your dog is an older dog just before you know it. Right. And and the thing is, is that they don't tell you. So they're going to hide these things as long as they can, right? Because they want to continue to do their thing and they want to continue to live their lives. And they're going to, and cats particularly, are going to do their very best to make sure that you don't know, you know, and making sure nobody knows that they're struggling with something until it's very noticeable. And by then, it's probably been happening for a little bit of time. Oh, that's so frustrating. Okay, so, so maybe a good place to start is with some of the bigger problems that we see with our pets as they reach an older age. And this could be dogs or cats. Where do you want to start? Sure. I mean, I, I would say I can just sort of give you a list of things and yeah. we can talk about the things that we might want to, you know, the things we can do something about. Let's mm-hmm. put it that way. Great. Um, so, you know, just like older people, things like heart disease, cancer, kidney disease, those kind of things, diabetes, liver disease, those are all things that are, are stuff that we associate with getting older. I mean, sometimes we associate them with, with younger animals too, but most of the time we associate those things with getting older both in people and in animals. The things that we really start to see that are more symptoms, outward symptoms that can tell us about more diseases, including those diseases, are things like pain, joint pain, difficulty moving around, um, weakness, just not being you know as robust as they used to, and then uh, senility. Um, ah. And the animals do develop senility just like people do. Okay, great. So let's then start with, we'll just do your list in order, heart okay. disease. Heart disease in our pets is probably going to be different in some respects than the heart disease that people experience. Because my understanding is that our pets don't experience some of the same kind of like hypertension problems that older people do. Or even you know, middle-aged people often have high cholesterol and get heart disease um, from maybe a not great diet or maybe some uh, sedentary activities or even maybe genetic um, factors. Our, our pets I don't tend to think of as, um, you know, having that kind of problem. But is that ever seen? Sure. I mean, that can be seen. What they don't have are the the, the arterial plaques and the, um, you know, issues, like you say, with cholesterol and things like that. That's a little more uncommon um, with our pets. And, you know, if we've got an animal that's in good shape um, in terms of not obese and things like that, then, you know, usually the problems we're talking about are genetic. And they're talking about genetic as they get older, not necessarily. There are the, the animals that get, you know, breed-associated heart disease at a young age. But for the most part, the ones we're talking about, usually a small to medium breed dog that's, you know, maybe coming in for a dentistry at about seven to eight years of age, and you hear that heart murmur for the first time. And that may be, you know, no big deal. It may just be a change in the sound based on a small change in size or change in blood flow. But it may be a start of something that we need to be paying much more attention to that's going to become something of a problem. 
Okay, so in a in a dog uh, or a cat, about what age might you, as a veterinarian, start to think about looking for signs of heart disease? I mean, every time they come in for a, an exam, I'm looking for heart issues. I'm, I'm listening. I'm listening to the rhythm of the heart. I'm listening to whether or not there's a murmur, things like that. Once I've found that, then I can help the owner know, okay, as your animal gets older, this is not likely to get better. It may not change, but it's not likely to go the other way. And so there are things I can help the owner then watch for to know that if that animal's heart is starting to fail. So things like watching their breathing when they're at rest, um, things like that, to start the owner monitoring for signs that there could be a problem. Okay. And so what could some of those signs be? Because uh, this is something that I'd, I'd imagine that there could be some people listening right now who haven't really maybe even given a lot of thought to it. And I'd rather they be uh, informed and, and know sure. what to look for. I mean, I think things like if, if an animal, one of the things on my list, if an animal is slowing down, could be issues with the heart. More importantly, though, things like coughing, um, you know, especially coughing after they've been sleeping. Um, those kind of things are rapidly breathing when they're sleeping. Um, I don't mean panting, but I mean, you know, rapidly breathing when they're completely relaxed. Those are the kind of things I associate with potentially worsening of heart disease. Ah, interesting. Now, I, I'm thinking about this. Now, rapidly breathing, even when you're at rest, what does that suggest? That maybe you're not oxygenating your blood right. as well as right. you, you ought to. Exactly. And your veterinarian can help train you on how to monitor and when to monitor. They even now have apps on your phone to help you do that. Um, and so if your animal has a heart issue and your veterinarians discuss that with you, they can help you keep that diary to know when things are, are a problem and when you should bring that animal in for more testing. Yeah, because it's, uh, it is true that our pet's heartbeats are not quite what our heartbeats are at rest, right. and, and it's probably difficult to know um, without some helpful information from a veterinarian or an expert, like really how fast your pet should be breathing or how fast its heart should be beating. Exactly. Um, uh, but let's say that one does notice that, you know, oh my gosh, you know, my, my dog has awoken from a nap or he's napping a lot and he wakes up and he's coughing all over the place. Well, what, what is the coughing point to? The coughing may point to that there there's some fluid in their chest that they're not able to um, breathe through. Um, that may point to that. It may point that that you know things their heart's gotten a little bit big and it's pushing on things it shouldn't, or it may not point to any of that. It may point to you know um, allergies or collapsing trachea or other problems that aren't necessarily associated with heart issues, but it's something to look out for and then something to call your veterinarian and just say, hey, you know, I've noticed this. Maybe we should come in to have an x-ray or come in to, um, you know, have you listened, those kind of things. Yeah, I bet you've listened to a lot of pet hearts. When you hear something that's a little bit abnormal in an older pet, what what would the next step be? Some sort of uh, diagnostic imaging? Yes. The next step, absolutely right. The next step would be to do something like take an x-ray of the chest and look at things, look at the heart, look at the lungs, um, all those kind of things. And also maybe to uh, get a veterinary cardiologist involved so they can look at things like, you know, do an echocardiogram, um, those kind of things to look at to look at the actual, you know, valves of the heart. Um, also maybe just an ECG, looking at the electrical um, performance of the heart can be telling in certain you know, situations. So yeah, there are further diagnostics we can definitely do to be able to tell if things are working okay. 
And for older pets who are maybe having a problem with the heart, are there therapies that can maybe make that pet feel a bit more comfortable? Because while you might not be able to make the heart good as new, maybe you can make it so that the pet doesn't have to, you know, uh, have as rapid uh, breathing or you know, maybe you can get some of the fluid out of the, the chest there so it, it can feel a bit more comfortable? Absolutely. We have so many things now that can be done. The medications that we have and the, the way in which we give them and the timing in which we give them has come so far since just the 20 years I've been practicing. Um, we can give animals much more comfortable and much longer lives um, when they're monitored appropriately and medications are started in the right timetable. Uh, so yes, that is definitely something that can be done um, if people are paying attention. Now, an animal that has a heart problem, we, we know heart's a very important uh, internal organ. I mean, do you do you see some animals whose whose hearts are uh, unfortunately in a, in a state that you you suspect it's going to be life limiting? Sure, sure, that does happen. Um, but typically, that's not the typical thing. Typically, you know, in the regular general practice setting, we're seeing animals that may have mild um, heart disease. Uh, due to, again, getting older and, and their genetics. And these animals are going to live their lives, and this is never even going to be a thing for them. Oh, good. Now, before we take our first break, let's talk a little bit about the kidneys. Uh, the kidneys are obviously vital, vital organs. They do important work for us and for our pets. And as a pet gets older, you know, I can imagine that some of the kidney function will decline a little bit. Um, but We've learned on this program before that the decline can be quite substantial before clinical signs are observed, and that must be vexing for you as a veterinarian and for the pet owners to come to find out that perhaps that this animal has experienced a significant loss of kidney function before anything was even noticed. Right. And sometimes the hard part is that what happens is um, they have some chronic underlying kidney disease and then some incidents happens. You know, they get sick from something else or whatever, and it sort of makes that um, chronic kidney disease become more, much more acute rapidly. We call it acute on chronic kidney um, issues. And that, when that ends up happening, it is, it is very tough and very stressful um, for everybody involved. Um, and the animal feels terrible, and hopefully you're going to be able to help them and get them feeling better uh, with hospitalization and fluid therapy and things like that. However, if we can, you know, start monitoring the animal early, you know, start looking at when we're talking about senior animals, them coming in twice a year to receive blood work and um, monitoring for kidney disease. This is especially true in kitty cats. You can catch that pretty early if you're watching, but you have to be watching. Uh, and then you can make some dietary changes. You can make some, you know, additions of um, medications, additions of extra water, things like that, that can help that animal live quite a long time with their kidney issues, um, depending upon when it's caught and what kind of response they have to therapy. Well, that is promising. When you are doing an exam on a pet and you want to make sure that the kidneys are functioning properly, what is your go-to diagnostic test? My go-to diagnostic test is blood work. Mm -hmm. Just looking at, you know, values that the kidneys are giving me and looking at what the urine is doing. Looking at, you know, what, can they put all that stuff into urine and get it out of their body well, or are they having, or are their kidneys struggling to do that? 
And so looking at your baseline blood work and a urinalysis can help you in a big way figure out if that's your issue. Yeah, because you have for dogs and cats some kind of you know, standard levels that you're hoping to see on these uh, on these diagnostic tests. If they come back within a particular range, you feel pretty okay about it. And if they're outside of that range, you might need to look at, you know, what's going on. But as we've learned before, there could be a lot of different things going on, and it becomes like a process of elimination to determine what it is. Uh, I mean, especially uh, in an older pet, as you say, that could could already be having some chronic problems, and then you throw on an acute problem on top of that, well, now you've really got to sort it out. Exactly. And and again, if you've got, you know, if that animal's been coming to you for years and you've got values of their blood work as it goes forward, you know, and you know what they typically look like on their blood work, and then there's a change, you can spot that sort of thing much more quickly. And you can hopefully then be able to help that unraveling process go much more efficiently because then you know, hey, this change happened here and here. How can we figure out what happened in that timetable to make this a, a much bigger problem fast? And there are options for animals that have some kidney problems, uh, maybe not for every particular kidney problem, but for some, there are adjustments that can be made, as you say, and maybe your pet can can have um, a, a comfortable life for quite some time. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, my own personal cat, in fact, was diagnosed with kidney issues when she was about 12, and she lives to be 18. So, oh, wow. Yeah. Great. So we were able to change her diet and make sure she had some more access to water and some things like that. And she was able to, to live a long time with her disease and, and do just fine. Oh, that's that's very good to hear. All right. Well, Dr. Stone, this is where we're going to take our first break. I want to remind listeners that this is Animal Airwaves Live here on WUFT. I'm Dana Hill. My guest today from the University of Florida College of Veterinary Medicine is our friend Dr. Amy Stone. We'll be back with more right after this. Welcome back to Animal Airwaves Live. I'm Dana Hill. My guest today from the University of Florida College of Veterinary Medicine is our good friend, Dr. Amy Stone. And we're talking about issues related to our senior pets, our older pets. And we've talked about some heart disease issues and kidney disease issues. And one of the other major kind of issues that we need to look at in older pets, and unfortunately, it can often be a life-limiting problem for our pets is cancer. And we've talked about this on the program before, Dr. Stone, I believe it. And it's such a it's such a sad thing, just as it is uh, with people, of course, cancer can be extremely stressful for everyone involved. And, and it can cause a, a great deal of discomfort in the patient. And it can be one of those uh, situations in which sometimes the treatment can at least in people, the treatment is, is often very, um, it, it can make one feel very uncomfortable. But as we've learned on this program, um, the the process for treating cancer in our pets is a little bit different. So let's kind of talk about what kind of cancers our pets can get, especially in the older age. And then we can talk about uh, some of the treatment options. 
Sure. Um, I mean, there's there's a, a, a many many different kinds of cancer that any of us and any of our pets can get as we as we age. Um, different breeds have different cancers that they typically um, have genetically. You know, they're they're kind of programmed to have um, potentially as they age. Um, and so, some of our bigger dog breeds, we think about things like um, hemangiosarcoma and the spleen and the heart and things like that. Um, and the best way to sort of prevent that, or at least get ahead of it if you can, is by getting regular exams with your veterinarian. Um, because they're going to be able to tell you things like, oh, I think your dog's spleen might be a little bit big. Let's go ahead and um, get you know, an ultrasound of the abdomen or an x-ray or, or things like that so we can tell if that may be what's starting to, to occur. Um, and the, again, the physical exam every year or every six months, depending on the age, is going to be super important in helping to, to guide that. Um, and so, you know, that's, I think that's probably the best, best thing to do is to be able to, to monitor um, for things that are likely to be there. And how, how does one really go about monitoring? Because the, there's different kinds of cancer, and, and some of these could be um, lumps or bumps that we might feel on our pets, but some are going to be inside our pets that we just don't have any way as a pet owner to really be cognizant of. Right. And so I would say things like just getting, to, you know, and as you've, you know, introduced your pet, whether you adopt an older pet or whether you have a young animal, starting to let them know that it's okay for you to touch them, you know, their bottoms of their feet, um, their ears open their mouth, all those kind of things. So you kind of know the lay of the land, if you will. You know where things are. So you can tell if something's different. Is something bigger than it should be? Is something, you know, do you have a mass that's there that wasn't there before? Um, is the color different? You know, if your dog's normally super pink and all of a sudden is not super pink on their, you know, when you open their mouth, that would be something to let your veterinarian know. Um, Internal masses are not going to be easy to detect for an owner, and the, again, the way to monitor for that is following your veterinarian's instructions for when to come in for their, you know, exams, so that the veterinarian can feel and the veterinarian can run tests if they think they're needed to detect those things. But in terms of what you can do at home, just looking at your pet, making sure that you kind of know where everything is, um, it's a little like doing a tick check making sure you know all the ins and outs and that you can spot it if something's different. But the cancer risk for our pets probably increases as they get older. Absolutely. Same with us. You know, our, our DNA and, and all the things that make our cells don't proofread quite as well as we get older. In our genetics, things get turned on as we get older uh, that weren't there before. And so, yes, cancers do incre the occurrence of cancer increases as animals age, for sure. But there are potential treatments for some kinds of cancer that can have a very profound positive effect. And we might, in some cases, get you know, a couple more years out of our, of our even our older pets if Absolutely. if the treatment is effective uh, and if, especially if the cancer can be identified in time. Exactly. So I always tell people the smaller, you know, if it's a smaller thing that I can identify, surgery is often very effective. Um, you know, if it's a smaller thing that hasn't gone anywhere, getting whatever it is off um, can be super helpful. Um, sometimes taking out an organ, sometimes taking out a spleen can be 
can be life-saving and the animal can recover from it and live, you know, a, a bit more, a bit longer of good, happy time. Uh, sometimes a limb amputation is warranted. There are um, instances when chemotherapy is something that an animal can, can go through. It just sort of depends on the animal and it depends on the type of cancer and the way they respond to treatment. Um, but sometimes that is something that can be very, very effective depending on the type of cancer and depending on that animal situation. Let's talk about something that I imagine affects a pretty decent number of older cats, and that's diabetes. And it can be something that can put a lot of stress on the pet's owner because a diabetic pet requires a good deal of care. Sure. Sure they do. Um, And yes, that's something that I worry about in my middle-aged older cats. Um, And the good news is is that it's a it's a disease that can be worked with. Um, you know, some weight loss can be helpful. Um, insulin can be given, and most cats can learn to take their insulin injections, and most owners can learn to give the insulin injections pretty well. Um, fortunately, many cats are motivated by a little bit of food, so you know, knowing that you can sort of have them, you know, get a routine together so that you can get that insulin into them can be helpful. We also have much better monitoring equipment than we used to. Um, we now have, you know, the ability for owners to kind of, you know, look at some of their animals' values at home um, via some training with the owner or some of the more, um, you know, interstitial is what we call them, monitoring agents that you can actually place on the animal for a certain period of time to get an idea of what their glucose is doing and how to better help them. Yes. I'll hear relay a kind of personal story, and that is in my family. I have a beloved uncle who recently uh, lost his beloved cat, Eddie. But Eddie had had diabetes for quite a long time, and my uncle successfully cared for this cat for years and years with diabetes, with daily, I want to say like twice daily injections Mm -hmm. or something like that. And it it caused my uncle to kind of have to you know, orient his life towards the care of this pet, but he did it, and the pet was a, a very faithful companion to him, and and vice versa. Um, you know, ultimately, uh, Eddie, you know, did uh, pass away, but it is possible to care for an animal like this if if one is dedicated to it. Absolutely. Um, my own grandmother had a diabetic cat and was able to, even with her arthritic hands and everything, was able to give injections. And the cat did quite well for many, many years and, and passed away from something else. Um, so it's it's a workable disease for many people. For some people, it's not. For some people, it's, you know, the and for some animals, it's not. But for many, it really is. And working closely with your veterinarian will give you that best chance of having your pet um, be successful and, and, again, comfortable and enjoyable um, for as long as they can be with the disease. Is it the case that diabetes cannot often be prevented in our pets? That is to say, is it likely that just some animals are going to get it? Well, that's probably true. We know that genetics are such that, yes, some animals are likely to get it. But keeping an animal um, from becoming a beast is going to be very, very helpful in keeping them from becoming diabetic, even if they are genetically set up to do that. Um, Much like people, it can be related, um, for the most part, due to weight. Uh, And so um, if we can help keep weight down, 
that's going to help so many things. Obesity-related issues in our pets is huge, and as animals age, that doesn't get any better. Um, as we all know, it's it's harder and harder as you get older to lose weight. And so, um, you know, if we can keep them from being, you know, a, terribly obese when they start um, going into their older years, that can be helpful in preventing things like diabetes and preventing things from um, like arthritis from being much worse than it is going to be just because of the genetics that are there. What should a pet owner look out for in terms of the early signs of diabetes in a pet? Anytime, and this is not just for diabetes, this is for a lot of things. Anytime your pet changes in the way that they eat and drink, you know, if they change the amount that they're eating and drinking when you didn't do anything different, um, that's something to definitely watch out for. And watching out for the amount they're eliminating. You know, watching out for if it's cat in the litter box, are they eliminating more times? Or is the, the clump that's there much bigger than it was, say, you know, a month ago? Um, is are we missing the litter box? Are there instances where we're not able to make it that far? Um, are you know, with a dog? Are they asking to go out a bunch more than they were? Are they emptying that water bowl much more often? Are you having to fill it um, many more times than you were previously? Those are probably the best things to watch out for to get in front of something like diabetes quickly. Is it a pretty straightforward test when you're diagnosing diabetes in a pet? Yes very straightforward. You're looking at things like the blood glucose and urine glucose um, and things like that. And yes, you can you can do that fairly easily. Yeah. Okay. Well, this is where we're going to take our second break. And when we come back, we've got a lot more to talk about in terms of caring for our older pets, joint pain, weakness, senility as well. I want to remind you that this is Animal Airwaves Live here on WUFTFM. It's our weekly hour-long show devoted to the discussion of the health and welfare of animals. I'm Dana Hill. My guest today from the University of Florida College of Veterinary Medicine is Dr. Amy Stone, and we'll be back with more of the program right after this. Welcome back to Animal Airwaves Live. I'm Dana Hill. My guest today from the University of Florida College of Veterinary Medicine is Dr. Amy Stone. And we're talking today about caring for our older pets and identifying and treating some of the ailments that they may experience as they get older. And Dr. Stone, it occurs to me that what's next on our list of issues are three that sound very familiar to any human who is getting older and talking about joint pain and weakness and and even senility. These are things that affect older humans as well. And it is probably something that, you know, maybe people who have a pet that's experiencing some of these will will think, okay, well, you know, that makes sense. If this pet's getting up in years, you know, it's understandable that it can be experiencing joint pain, but that doesn't make it any easier on us or the pet just to think that, oh, well, this happens when our pet's having trouble getting around like it used to. That can that can be distressing for us and for the pet. Absolutely. Um, and, and the thing is, is that, again, they're really good at hiding it, especially cats. Um, you're not going to know. It's going to be subtle. You know, maybe they don't quite jump as many places as they used to, or maybe they're, you know, not quite 
um, getting up into the litter box like they once did. Just some, there are going to be some minor things that may start to happen. Um, and that means that your pet likely has been having some pain for a while, which is distressing. I mean, you don't want your animal to be in pain um, or, or, you know, any family member to be in pain. And so the things we can watch out for, you know, just try, again, trying to be mindful of what's going on with your pet. Are they doing the things they used to do? Um, and if they're not, what is it they're not doing? Um, because sometimes it can be about pain. You know, changes in activity can be about pain. Or changes in activity may be about eyesight. They may not be seeing quite as well as they used to. Um, additionally, they may not be hearing everything that they used to hear. And so, or maybe a combination of all of those things. And so it's it's one of those, um, just like I said, you want to keep your hands and eyes all over your pet. You want to watch what they do as well and kind of get into a rhythm of what is it that they, is normal for them. They're a normally very active animal, and you notice they're not quite doing that anymore. Well, let's figure out why, or let's see if we can figure out why so that maybe we can help them at least be more comfortable. We may not be able to get them back to what they were doing 100% before, but we can get them back to feeling good about what's going on. Yeah, like I would say that maybe don't just uh, you know it, it'd be it'd be tempting to you know one would expect that let's put it this way that if we're talking about a a person in his or her seventies right that okay you know maybe you're not going to be doing as many jump shots playing uh, basketball as you used to. Maybe you're not going to, you know, feel quite as uh, spry when you're out jogging as you used to. But with our pets, we shouldn't just assume that this is how it has to be. Um, We we might do well by our pets by at least getting this investigated because maybe there is something that can uh, be done to help our cats, pets feel a bit more comfortable. Absolutely. And there, there are so many things that can be done. You know, just simply doing things like, um, you know, again, your veterinary visits, but also, you know, having, you know, telling your vet what's happening. There are medications that can be tried um, for comfort um, so that, you know, sort of like in people, maybe you're not making a bunch of jump shots during your basketball game, but maybe you're making one good one. Um, and those are the kind of things we can help our pets do. Um I was thinking about, you know, I have a a couple of uh, patients right now that I'm working with. We're trying to isolate exactly what's happening. You know, we've tried to take care of of pain as much as possible and looking at what might be arthritis issues. But we're also looking at things like making sure we're not moving the furniture a whole bunch. Um, You know, if they're having some issues with looking at depth perception, maybe they've got some cataracts. Maybe they just are not, you know, quite looking into the dark like they used to um, because for a myriad of of ophthalmic reasons and making sure that they've got good lighting when they go outside to go to the bathroom at night or good lighting when they go in to go to the litter box, um, things like that. Um, Making sure that they have a comfortable place to sleep that is within their reach, within their access. And if they used to jump on the bed and they're not doing that so much anymore, maybe a really comfortable bed on the floor is a good idea. So those are some kind of easy things to do to help that older pet feel more comfortable and sleep better and all of those kind of things. Maybe kind of associated um, with joint pain or at least just not feeling one's best uh, weakness, right? Um, You know, our pets that formerly seemed quite sturdy, uh, might, as they get older, not have uh, quite as much 
power as they did before, and and they might notice it too, or at least they don't feel quite the same. Um, but when we talk about you know weakness, how it, might it manifest itself in our pets? Well, again, and usually weakness goes hand in hand with some of your your joint issues and arthritis issues, but it may just manifest in things like, you know, when you hit the door, usually your pet jumps around like a crazy thing. Now maybe they still, you know, act all excited and wag and carry on, but they're not jumping around quite like they used to. Or maybe you used to throw the Frisbee and they used to grab that and now they're, you know, kind of waiting for it to sort of hit the ground and then they're bringing it back to you. Um, maybe they've been having, you know, one of their favorite places to sleep is on the very tippy top of the cat tree. And maybe now they're not quite as jazzed about getting all the way up there. They just don't quite have the umph to do it. Um, those are some things to watch for. Um, you know, if your dog is a big swimmer and they're just, you know, they kind of go out and back and that's good. They just don't have the longevity they once did, or that walk doesn't last quite as long as it used to. All those kind of things are things to watch for when you're thinking about an animal getting a bit weaker than they were um, in their younger years. Now, it doesn't necessarily point to anything, uh, you know, catastrophic. No. Uh, this this just might be kind of the way that it's going, um, but we want to make sure that it's not something that is actually causing our, our pet genuine pain. Exactly. And how does one go about determining that? Because as you say, our, our pets can't talk to us. So right. determining whether or not it hurts or it's just maybe, you know, not the pet's favorite thing to do anymore is got to be a challenge. Sure. And I mean, it, and it is for us too, because, you know, many pets, um, have sort of uh, selective hearing <laughs> when you're, you know, maybe they're not responding because they don't hear you. That's harder to sort of pinpoint because hearing doesn't usually go away all at once. It's something that kind of goes away gradually. And we can sort of try to help you figure out if that's what's happening um, by doing some testing when they're in the building with you, you know, when they're at your practice. Um, but mostly I find that having an owner keep a journal of what they're talking, you know, what symptoms they're seeing and when they're seeing it helps me get them to ferret out what's, if it's hearing. With eyesight, sometimes you can, and when we have them here, um, you know, an unfamiliar setting, they can, you can see them not able to make, negotiate the turns like they used to, or, you know, that kind of thing. We may be able to sort of set up a little safe obstacle course, if you will, so that we can figure out if they're, they're having issues with that, both with the lights on and with the lights off. And then lastly, there's orthopedic examinations that we can do and neurologic examinations that we can do um, to see if we can pinpoint if that animal's in pain or actually having some neurologic weakness um, that would pinpoint, you know, maybe we need to do an x-ray of that particular area or um, maybe we need to try some medication that would target that sort of pain and see if it changes anything. I'm so glad that you mentioned the eyes and ears because with all of us as we get older, I doubt many people see better as they get older or hear better, and, and I certainly fall into that category. My eyesight, I feel like, is deteriorating rapidly. I want to ask about the eyes and the ears and, and also maybe uh, the mouth and, and oral care and the teeth um, because, you know, as as our pets live longer, well, they're, you know, they're using all these parts in the mouth, and, and there's got to be some wear and tear involved there. What do you see in older pets? If, it, if an animal's had really good oral hygiene their whole life, then we don't see too much. Um, but for the most part, most animals have not had great oral hygiene their whole lives. And so older animals do tend to have much worse periodontal disease than 
you know, their younger counterparts. And so making sure that we're staying on top of that, because like I've said before, when we talked about dentistry on the program, I'd rather do very short procedures than have to do really big, long procedures in an older animal that ha may have some of the diseases we've been talking about. And so, you know, making sure that we're staying on top of um, the teeth so that we don't have to do terrible, long, you know, hours and hours of procedures taking out many, many teeth um, is what I would prefer to do because I think it's safer. Um, the other thing we need to watch for is any masses in the mouth, just like we're watching for masses on the body. Um, so, you know, training your dog and cat early that you're allowed to open their mouth and look in there um, can be helpful to spotting something while it's small and we can take it off. So there's there's that. Um, and continuing to brush, you know, continuing to do the things that you've done um, establishing those routines and habits when they're younger can be helpful um, in order to continue to do them as they age and it be may become even more important. Um, and with eyesight and hearing, you know, as animals get older, I really do recommend things like nightlights, making sure they can see better for depth perception in the dark. That helps with, you know, feeling a lot less anxious when you can tell where you are. Um, if you think your animal is having some hearing loss, doing some things like stamping your feet, um, when you come towards them if they're sleeping, um, if, especially if you have a floor that can, you know, give a little bit of a vibration, um, you know, just some different things that you can do to help them um, know that the world's there and keep them um, acclimating well as they do lose some of these sharpnesses um, will, will really help. Routines are super important. Let's talk about maybe one of the sadder ones to think about, and that's senility. Our pets kind of like losing uh, the the personalities that they once had, and and maybe being a bit more fearful, and all the things that kind of would potentially come with not experiencing the world in the same way that they formerly did. Right, and that's that's hard to spot, and it's hard to. to to sort of figure out. Um, and I think that's one of the ones that's most frustrating for owners. And I think that's often why, you know, uh, animals get abandoned when they're older um, at shelters is because people just don't know what to do. Um, and your veterinarian can be very, very helpful in that situation because dogs and cats tend to do some of the same things older people do. You know, they tend to get more anxious at night. They tend to get their nights and days turned around. And so they may be up bumping around and, you know, barking in corners and, and you know, yowling and carrying on at night when you're trying to sleep. And so that becomes a very frustrating um, issue. And, you know, it, there are some things you can definitely do. There are some medications you can use. I don't usually reach for those first, but there are things like pheromones, um, dog-appeasing pheromone, feel-away. Um, if you talk to your vet about those, they may be able to help you get those in diffuser settings. Um, for some animals, things like what we used to use for thunderstorms, but using them a little more frequently like a thunder shirt, something to give them some boundaries, something that, you know, keeps them um, kind of, uh, comfortable, um, it kind of sort of wraps them tightly in a swaddling sort of situation, sometimes helps them feel like they've got some boundaries and they know where the where they are in space, if you will. Um, and that, that can make them feel more comfortable. Uh, Nightlights, um, routines, making sure that beds don't get moved around, all of those kind of things can help keep that, you know, animal focused and also just helping them use their brain. You know, as animals age, we're like, oh, just let them sleep. Well, yeah, they need their rest, but they also need to still do some things that they, you know, once did or at least some new things that challenge their mind a little bit so that then when it becomes nighttime, 
they can actually rest. With a, a pet experiencing some of these senility issues, you know, making some adjustments, as you say, and trying to accommodate them is something that I understand that we would definitely want to do. I, I don't suppose that there's any hope that any of these issues would be reversible? I don't know that I necessarily think they're reversible, and I don't know that we have a whole ton of science that says one way or another, but I think when we give animals, you know, we know from people that if we are able to keep people pretty active and using their mind, that they're able to become a lot more stable and a lot happier in that time of their life. And so if they can do that, then, you know, whether it's reversible or not, you can have more good time with your pet and your pet can have more comfortable time regardless. You know, something becomes much more livable for sure um, when, you know, when there are ways to accommodate and ways to um, sort of live with what's going on that are not miserable and that are not anxiety producing um, for that pet. Yeah. Well, Dr. Stone, you know, this is a wonderful topic. I think that People who listen to this program will will understand what I say when I say when we adopt a pet or bring a pet into our lives, you know, we're making what we hope to be a kind of a lifelong commitment to that animal. We want the animal to have its best, happiest, healthiest life with us, and it may mean that as our pet gets older, we need to make some accommodations for that animal because it's slowing down in the way that someday probably all of us will slow down and experience some of the kinds of problems that we talked about on this program as our pets do. And uh, it's good to maybe practice some patience and some empathy for our pets if we can and and be vigilant and, and aware of kind of what is happening in our pet's uh, life and, and health so that we can, you know, kind of keep those last years as comfortable as they might be. Absolutely. I mean, there are some people that get really good at this. You know, I have some clients that they actually look forward to getting animals that are a little bit older because they know that they can be a challenge and they've sort of figured it out. You know, they've got steps in their house for their pets. They've got, you know, ramps to get into the car for their dogs. They've got, you know, they've figured out ways to help these older animals uh, along with their veterinarian have good end of life care and have good end of life time. You know, um, I'm, I'm hopeful that I can do for my pet what I hope to do for myself and, you know, be happy and active in my retirement. Um, and I, you know, I think that we can, there are some things we can do um, to help our pets, you know, have a happy retirement, if you will. Oh, I hope so. Well, Dr. Stone, thank you so much for talking to me today. It's always a pleasure talking to you. I appreciate you being on the program again. It was wonderful, and I'm sure I'll be back. Amy Stone is a veterinarian at the University of Florida College of Veterinary Medicine. I want to also say thank you to Sarah Carey for her help with the program and to you for listening. I'm Dana Hill. I hope you will join me next time for another episode of Animal Airwaves Live. (music) 